Thank you for listening to Recyclables. I really appreciate it. If you want to support the program, the best way to do that is to like, subscribe, and share. Uh, the next best way is to make a donation either through the Acast app or at our Patreon, which is just patreon forward slash recyclables.com. Until next time, thank you. Wait for the let's wait for the theme music to cut down. Let's wait for you to get relaxed. This is Recyclables. I'm your host, PTP. I hope you're enjoying this more intimate format. Uh, it's more one-on-one dialogue. I hope this doesn't feel too weird for you listening at home. This is going to be an episode of Recyclables that hopefully uh, just about anybody can listen to. It's going to be the the ABCs of XYZ and LGBTQ, which is to say I'm going to do a basic episode explaining gender, sexuality, and some very basic relationship styles. Uh, one of the goals with Recyclables has always been for it to be kind of uh, accessible to anyone. One of the things that I really struggled with, uh, and I still struggle with in life, is legitimacy. Which is to say, I don't always feel valid in my understanding of things. Uh, Sometimes because I've been told not to, and and, and sometimes because of my own personal uh, barriers. So today, what I wanted to do was presume the person listening knows nothing about gender, sexuality, or relationship styles, and that we can use this to give them kind of a basic building block to go off of. As I think is relevant to anybody who is teaching, I'm going to give you kind of my uh, personal take slash experience on it, and then we'll we'll explore the ideas. Um, this episode is going to presume you know nothing about genders or uh, sexuality or relationship styles, and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to you, to you the listener as though you were a uh, small child, and and not in a like <laughs> kids are stupid way, but you know uh, the hope is that this is the kind of episode you can let your aunt listen to. Like I'm aiming for little old church ladies as much as kids. Um, This episode honestly came about because a listener was like, I don't understand, I don't know anything about trans issues, uh, so I don't even, I don't even know how to engage it. And I was like, oh, that's fair. All right. And I don't, I'm going to be honest, I don't know a ton. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert. I just think it's, it's, it's been a goal of recyclables to always have a kind of fundamentals episode. I'm, I've, I keep, uh, telling Nova Starlust that we need to do a sex ed episode and then I keep getting distracted. But uh, I think an, an important part of being um, a good person just in general is is understanding other people and, and understanding what they're trying to say without the, the barriers we have in place. Um, for, for one thing, my, my own personal relationship is my, my great uncle was like, was openly gay as early as the sixties or seventies. Uh, uh, he w- he was openly gay for all of my childhood and, uh, I'm, I might've related it on the podcast, but I actually had the experience of explaining to my mom that being gay and having AIDS were, were different things. Um, I was, I was at this thing, like it was this thing where when I was young, there was just enough new information coming out that, like, oh, AIDS is in blood. Uh, it was just something that was in the public 
like sphere and I picked up on that at an early age and was like no mom these things are different sorry uh I, also I have uh, a trans sibling I have a number of trans cousins and and uh I, I also want to admit that growing up I was not the most sensitive to people's needs and um I, I was definitely an asshole uh, to my brother when I was younger because I didn't I didn't understand things either. It's kind of one of the rougher things I think for people who uh, who aren't as well informed uh, have to have to contend with is is you know you fucked up. But the the nice thing about feeling bad about fucking up is it means you know you fucked up and you know how to avoid that behavior. So so that's that's kind of like the nice thing about being embarrassed is it's a reminder of like maybe why you were embarrassed especially if it's important like that for me i think it starts with the fact that like i have a very specific crush policy i was informed at a very young age uh, about just kind of the horrors uh, men can wreak upon women uh, just just through being raised by a divorced mother uh, alongside divorced aunts uh, by a divorced grandma uh, and a widowed great-grandmother so like I had a lot of people in my life who were like your your side is the problem uh, and it's actually it's been a thing I've talked with Rochelle about before where uh, I, I honestly thought everyone knew men were awful so it's always been a surprise to me when I'm like oh you didn't you didn't know men can just be the worst like we, ooh, ooh. Uh, and as a result of that, I have always had a crush philosophy that's kind of, it's not, it's not their problem, especially if it's not an appropriate time or place, uh, which means even, even if, uh, I am 100% sure that the, uh, clerk at the bank was flirting with me, I'm not gonna do anything about it because it's not the right time or place. Similarly, like I go to karaoke, uh, quite a bit. I'm three years sober by the time this episode comes out, so so uh, feel free to Venmo me money for that. I'm so poor, so poor. I go to karaoke uh, still when I can. Like if somebody's out hanging out with their friends, I don't necessarily assume that they want to be bothered by some some guy who's just there to sing karaoke. If if I think maybe they are flirting, if they if 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 in that scenario at the bar the person waves over at me, I might go over and say hi. Uh, I won't, uh, because that just sounds like a lot of work, and I'm not, I'm not into that. So, um, the other, <laughs> the other, the other, the other, I think, thing is, is I don't think anyone asks to be born. I think I've, I've made that point a bunch of times on the podcast before. I don't think anyone can consent to being alive. So it is kind of our responsibility as the people who have to take care of people who have been inflicted with life. Uh, and to clarify, like, I think being a parent means you know you've agreed that, like, I've made a person who will die someday, and I am responsible for all of that. And so it's your duty to, as a parent at least, make their life as much their own choice, ideally, in an ideal world. And so to me... Uh, because no one can consent to being born, it's it's not really my duty to presume a whole bunch of things that you're going to do after you're born, right? Like, my job was, I forced you to exist, and I need to prepare you for life, and, and however you need to live that comfortably and safely. 
Now, sometimes people do make poor decisions because of that, you know? And I think uh, the more information you have, you might surprise yourself. For me, uh, it was really a relief to find out, like, oh, I'm not an anomaly. I'm not so weird. There are other people like this. Uh, maybe not exactly the way I am, but that means, you know, I'm still kind of cool because I, I, I get to be my own self. Uh, and now that I know the words to identify as, I don't have to, you know, confuse somebody. Like, the irony is the more the more of these words you know and understand, the better you can understand uh, yourself and other people. Um, I know a lot of a lot of Christian people also struggle with this. I know I've mentioned it on the show before, but uh, I'm I'm agnostic, but I was raised Christian. Uh, what that means for my outlook is is twofold. Like I said, one thing to remember, one thing I want people to always remember, if you're like I don't know enough about uh, trans uh, and queer uh, uh, like gender and identity issues, is uh, these are people's family. These are people's, you know, sons, daughters, children. These are people's children. These are people's siblings and cousins and extended relatives of all variety and worthy of being loved. I also think from a religious sense, uh, one of the things that's always stuck with me about Christianity is that Jesus was like, hey, I know there's like a bunch of old rules, but the biggest rule is just do unto others what you would have them do unto you, uh, which I think is a really good model for life. And and I also mentioned uh, that I am agnostic. What that means to me, honestly, more than anything else, is I don't know. And I think it is the height of heresy to presume uh, that there is if there is a god that i would understand what they are up to like it just it just i don't understand what the sun is up to it exists by the same token i think to me one thing every religion kind of agrees upon is uh if you live a heavenly life you will go to that place's idea of heaven uh for example in theory um, our understanding of the Norse is that they had Valhalla, uh, and the way to get into Valhalla was to be a badass warrior, which meant you spent your life being a badass warrior, which meant that's how you become the Vikings, uh, specifically the raiding part of the Norse society, because that's really just all Viking means. Anyway, I'm getting down a rabbit hole. My point is that even as an agnostic, there might be an afterlife. I don't. I don't think that. I, I think the only way to know is to die, and I'm not in a huge rush to do that. I can't wait to die, but I have some things to do first, so I'm not in like a huge rush. I'd like to see my kid finish school. Uh, I'd like to run a D and D campaign. Um, I'd I'd like to start a cult. You know, I've got goals. Uh, but 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 my point is, I try to live a life such as I assume will make the world around me a more heavenly place, you know. And that does come from kind of my early notions of what Christianity was. Uh, maybe not the reality of what it is, but I think, I, I, I think it's fair to respect what people's 
religion offers them, even if it is not the reality. My, my, my point was not to be all uh, philosophical. It was not to get religious. But this episode is really to give uh, a lesson in the language. However, I do think it is important to remember kind of the guiding principle of the podcast, as I've mentioned before, uh, is pedagogy of the oppressed. And it is important to look at who is the oppressed and who is the oppressor in these situations. And I would say the oppressed party is the party that has had their history uh, denied, has had their identities erased, and have been told that it is literally illegal and against the law for them to exist. Because the oppressing party is the party that says, hey, it's against the law for you to exist. I am offended to even have to talk about your language. And there is a responsibility to both parties when it comes to oppression. And I think uh, one of the greatest fears, uh, the majority of the onus is obviously on the oppressor. Uh, but I think one of the greatest fears of, of oppressed people and of oppressors who want to not be oppressors is finding out, you know, parts of themselves that they have oppressed, internalized oppression, if you will. And I think that's also a thing that makes uh, these conversations a little bit scary. Because once you know the language about a thing, you have to look at yourself in context of that thing. And you have to look at yourself, uh, I think, if you're being responsible as, as where am I in terms of being oppressor and oppressed. And if you're of the oppressing party, it means you've also done some internalized oppressions. And I will, I, I've definitely, as I've gotten older and learned more things, as I've read books like The Ethical Slut, I've, I've learned better patterns of how to perceive things. I think even if you think you have a good idea of how things work, uh, it's, it's always great to learn something more if you are comfortable with it, you know? Don't look into butt play if you're not comfortable looking into butt play. But knowing that there are people that that's just what they enjoy shouldn't detract or, or change your uh, life. Uh, I, I guess is my point. But, but the other part is, is don't be ashamed and don't be afraid. If you are a kind of person, if you're, if you are, you know, the kind of person who has poo pooed other people's identity or, or tried not to engage with it because it made you uncomfortable. Well, that means you're in a position of privilege. Uh, you've never had to deal with it. And if you're, if you're going to be recyclable, you, you have to confront some of that. All right, so that's that's kind of that's just the 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 PTP philosophy on why it's important to know this language. For one thing, uh, it's your friends and your family. It's people in your life that you're going to love, and you're not required to engage in these activities in any fashion. You're not required to have these relationship styles, but it's important to understand that um, they exist and they're out there. Let me make an obvious disclaimer before I get too far along. I understand I am a white guy who is pretty much straight talking about these things. Uh, as I said, I want this to just be as accessible a set of definitions as people can have so that, you know, 
Even a little kid can listen to this, even somebody's uh, church lady. I want to start by addressing the sort of elephant in the room, uh, which is drag shows at the moment. I think that's the, the big thing that keeps coming up is, is drag shows being banned. That was sort of my impetus for wanting to do this episode. Uh, and, and I think it's important to understand that drag shows are a performance art. There is nothing specifically and inherently sexual about them. I think a similar is when, uh, is if a woman said she was a dancer. If you immediately presumed that that meant that she was a stripper, that probably says more about you than her, right? Like that's just, she could be burlesque, she could be tango, she could be ballroom dancing. Uh, there's a tango studio just up the street from me. Like the, these things exist. Not everyone who dances is a stripper right? Same way not everyone who models does porn. Doing drag is a similar concept. It is not inherently sexual unless someone is telling you it is a sexual event. Yes, there are likely to be adult and risque jokes. I think, I think it's important to understand that cross-dressing is an activity, right? That is usually a style of sexual play. It's a, a form of exploration where you dress opposite your presenting gender. We will get into gender in just a minute. Drag is more performative. It is essentially, I don't want to just say it being a clown. Drag is performing high arts and high acts of gender in a very almost clownish sense. And I don't mean clowns in like, <laughs> but I mean clown is in the traditional act of being a kind of uh, uh, performer that uh, does makeup and, and creates a character. I could do drag as, as, uh, as, as femme and maybe uh, celebrate my idea of femininity and beauty as a form of drag, but I could also do a form of masculine drag where I maybe exaggerate my idea of what a manly man is, you know, like, like fill in my face with more beard and uh, 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 maybe shave my bald spot more exaggerated. Drag doesn't necessarily have to be inherently cross-dressing. I've had friends who do drag in the gender for them. It's just them exaggerating a detail of it. And that brings us into a conversation of gender. Gender and sexuality are different. Um, I think another way maybe to look at it is your gender could be in a similar context, maybe where you went to school and your sexuality uh, uh, is, is what you majored in. Maybe you went to Oregon State University, uh, but not everyone who goes to Oregon State University uh, majors in psychology. Yeah, but I, I hope that helps explain a little bit. I think one of the 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 standard the the phrase cisgendered just means somebody who was essentially somebody who was born with the genitals uh, that they identify with their gender. Uh, I.e., I am a cis male. I was born with male presenting genitals. Uh, and, and a cis woman would be a woman who 
uh, was born the female set of genitals. Whatever, you, I'll leave those up to your imagination what those could be. Um, the, the important context to that is if you ever hear the phrase assigned female at birth or assigned male at birth, uh, that is essentially that. If somebody says, hey, I am uh, uh, any of the words that we're going to present afterwards, uh, but I was assigned female at birth, you're going to know what that means, uh, and you don't have to ask them questions to make yourself or them feel uncomfortable. Uh, so if you hear AFAB, assigned female at birth, or uh, AMAB, I think, assigned male at birth, I could be getting that wrong. Um, if you hear somebody say that they are agendered uh, or non-binary, uh, that is somebody saying they don't identify as a man or a woman. Uh, and let me let me backtrack for a minute too. Uh, man is 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 a loose definition, uh, usually associated with the male set of genitalia and a certain set of male presenting characteristics. Man can mean a transmasculine person, a person who is transitioning into a more masculine presenting uh, identity. Um, female is, of course, uh, somebody who identifies with female and feminine attributes. Transfem is somebody who is uh, usually transitioning into a more feminine identity. When people say there is a, a the gender is more than binary. All they are saying is that there are ways to express these identities more than just saying born with a penis and you're a boy, born with a vagina and you're a girl. Because, uh, for one thing, they're intersex people. Uh, there's a percentage of the population who are born with both sets of genitals. They have both bits. There's been other more offensive terms. I'm not going to use those here. But if you've heard of somebody who has uh, a penis and a vagina, uh, that is a, a, a intersex person. If there are also people who have no functioning or distinct sexual organs. Uh, those people are considered agendered. Now, if you are presenting as a kind of male or female, that is when phrases such as androgynous and non-binary come up. Androgynous is usually associated more with people who kind of are, are, are looking for both look. Non-binary are people who are traditionally kind of looking for neither look. Um, people who are gender fluid tend to, that's a phrase that's, that is for people who go back and forth. People who maybe don't identify as traditionally male or traditionally female or, or, or like aspects of both. People who are transgender um, specifically are people whose identity don't identify, doesn't correspond with, with essentially their uh, birth. Maybe they were intersect, uh, and somebody said, well, we'll focus on the boy part, and, and that wasn't what they were. Uh, maybe they, they had no discernible gender, and somebody said, hey, we'll focus on the girl part. And as they got older, they were like, it's not who I am. Again, gender is really more about identity and pr presentation. It is, it, I say it is that as if that's not a whole lot, but that matters quite a bit. A lot of people end their lives because they cannot conform to the, the gender that they are told to be, uh, and they are unable to be the gender that is most natural and comfortable for them. The, the, the really sad thing about this is that 
oftentimes just understanding this language could be enough to save somebody's life. If, if you're just comfortable talking about these things and knowing these things, there, there might be somebody in your life who's like, oh, oh, you know, now, now, now I'm safer because of having you in my life. That's the other reason I think this is important. Um, another term, it's usually used by indigenous and Native American people. So if you have the same skin tone as me, please don't use it. Uh, but, but if you hear somebody say that they are too spirited, um, it is usually a term for a person who kind of has both aspects to them. Essentially, the, the, the breakdown, I think, to remember is he, she, and they. And I know there's a lot of people who are reticent about whether or not they should say they. If you recall the pedagogy of the oppressed, it's, it's the responsibility of the oppressor to listen to the oppressed and to respect what they're trying to teach you. And, and as kind of the oppressing population, or as the population with the most power and exerting the most control over someone with the least control and the most threat to their life, um, the least we can do is, is, is know how to, how to talk about these things. So it's, it's on us to recognize this distinction. Um, I find, in general, they is best. I use they when I'm talking about my kid because I don't think it's your business what gender my child is and unless they want you to know about it because uh, they're a kid, you know? Also, uh, it's, it's very simple to say, hey, what are your pronouns? Mine are he, she, you know, what, what are yours? And I can know when I'm addressing you because, again, it's about respect. These are people's family, and, and you do unto others what you'd have them do unto you. I don't know when this podcast turned into a Sunday school sermon. I, I, oh, oh, one more thing before I forget. Transsexual is an outmoded term to describe people who are transgender. It was a presumption on the activity and not the identity. As we're about to explore when it comes to sexuality, it can be a little bit more complicated than a binary. You know, if there are agendered people, people who don't want to be addressed, and people who, who maybe uh, uh, prefer a mix and a match, uh, I, think, I think it is fair to assume that there are going to be more combinations post-gender for how those genders mix and match. That is where orientation comes into play. If you want to break orientation down of sexuality into a very basic binary, I think the best way to think of it is allosexual versus asexual. Asexual people on one end of the spectrum aren't interested in sex. They have low to no sex drive. They are into other kinds of affection. Uh, they cuddle. They like to cook meals together. Uh, they enjoy watching movies. If you, they, they have strong feelings for a person that surpass the basics of friendship, but for them, sexuality just isn't something they have fun with. If you think about it like exercise, uh, not everybody likes to go for hikes. Not everybody is supposed to like sex, and that is what asexuality is. At the other end of that spectrum, though, you have allosexual people, people who are interested and engaged in sexuality. If you need a very blank binary, there, there is a gray space. There are people who identify as gray sexual. And for them, 
sexuality is maybe tied to specific events. Maybe their body is going through a hormonal cycle. Maybe they just really get turned on by the full moon. Maybe uh, it's it's only when season finale, maybe when sweeps, that poor couple where just one part of them was really into sweeps and the other is not. Uh, but, but, but my point is gray sexuality, uh, being gray sexual is essentially like, hey, I'm not allosexual. I'm not really kind of for sex all the time, but I'm definitely not asexual. I'm not, I'm not completely against it or, or except for special occasions. A, a demisexual is a person who is requiring an emotional connection for sexuality. So a person who's kind of in that gray sexual space, uh, who can really only be attracted to somebody that they have an emotional connection with is considered uh, demisexual. You can add another level of nuance to that, which is there are people who are aromantic. People who maybe have intense feelings, close friendships, but who don't appreciate the feelings of romance. Maybe it is a uh, uh, trauma response. Maybe it's none of your fucking business. Uh, uh, but it, it, it is a thing that exists. Uh, and, and these are things that are for people of any gender right uh you you can be transitioning uh from one gender to another and identify as gray sexual uh you can be the gender you were born with and be pretty comfortable being allosexual uh you get a, you get a mix and match you get to be aromantic and then and then at that point though you begin getting into um straight relationships are those between males and females those are heteronormative relationships. Those are, those are when people say, Hey, we, we're living in a heteronormative society. That is what we tend to default people to, but that erases the rest of the spectrum that's coming up. That's just one tiny group of people. And honestly, cis heteronormativity, when you hear that phrase, it's just, just the assumption that boys need to marry girls. When people are saying, we're trying to confuse this language. It's not really about trying to control you. Uh, it's about trying to get you not to be controlled in a weird way. I just feel like by default, anyone who wants to educate you uh, and, and isn't charging you, and maybe I'm biased because this is who I am. I just, my, my point is that that cis-heteronormativity with a presumption of a romantic relationship is just a big word for saying people born boys need to get into marriages and make babies with people who are born girls. And I think that is a fairly oppressive way to think, especially the more we learn. I think it's important to remember with gender before we move on to sexuality too much that a lot of these forms of gender have existed prior to European contact. There were societies that had multiple degrees of gender. We talked in the history before in the history episode before about how the historical bias of Europeans has kind of affected the way people view history and the straight bias of people writing that history has affected the way it was written. I think one of the most famous examples is that there were a number of Vikings bodies that we have exhumed that have since been proven to be women. Because the history and the research was being done by men, uh, and, and they presumed that that was how it would work, that was what got recorded. And because of that, 
we lost a lot of context to history that we now have. That's why I think it's important to, to continue this conversation and to know these words. All of that was a tangent to say uh, heteronormativity is, is kind of the default. Homosexuality is just a relationship between uh, people with two matching genders. Um, a bisexual relationship, a bisexuality, is somebody who is interested in people romantically and or sexual, specifically sexually of both genders. Uh, pansexual, an identity I, I tend to claim, it's an attraction not tied to gender. If I think you're pretty, I think you're pretty. This is the way it is, you know. Uh, there's also polysexual, which is people who are sexually attracted to multiple people. Uh, that is to say, maybe you're attracted to a couple of people at the same time. Somebody who, who is, is interested in, in sexuality involving more than one person. And uh, we're going to talk about this more in relationship styles in just a minute. But the reason all of this matters, the, the reason it's important to know all of this is because if the conversation comes up, if you, if you do think, hey, the time and place is right for me to express my interest in this person, it is just as fair for them to say, I'm not into you. Maybe we can discuss our own experiences and become friends in that fashion. Or, hey, let's not talk about this at all and let's go bowling. Or, or, or I don't know what people do in 2023. I assume it's bowling still. And, and to be fair, there are plenty of people who identify as unsure or questioning their own sexuality. That happens to a lot of people. The reason I think it's important to understand the, the terms, and these are just very broad, basic terms for people's sexuality, is because, once again, I'll say this at the end of each one of these segments, there's somebody in your life who you love who is one of these things, and they are scared and ashamed of it, and there are people out there who want to harm them for it. And if you love them, I think the only appropriate and acceptable thing to do is to at least understand what the hell they're talking about when they say what they are. Uh, it also cuts down a lot of time on dating apps. It also makes it just super easy for you if you ever get on Tinder. Uh, uh, <laughs> but it also means if there is someone in your life who is struggling maybe because of their, their gender identity or their sexuality not being accepted, knowing what they're talking about means they don't have to go through the steps of saying, hey, I am a, uh, uh, a transgender male. That means I'm, I'm a male uh, and I've transitioned into this gender and I am aromantic. That means they're not really interested in romance. You can understand what they're talking about if they speak in terms of feeling isolated because maybe they don't have a partner, but they do have a number of relationships. If somebody says, hey, I am a cisgendered male uh, who is polysexual, and that is difficult because, you know, it's hard to find people <laughs> in life. Uh, uh, one of the ones I didn't mention, sapiosexual, which is uh, uh, people who are specifically attracted to other people for their intelligence. Kind of an obnoxious person, usually. But... You can also be like, oh, I, un I understand you're having difficult meeting people on your intellectual level, on, on at least what you perceive as your intellectual level. Uh, important to note, I got those terms from FetLife.com. FetLife is for people who engage in a variety of fetishes, 
uh, but they had a really useful kinctionary section for defining uh, orientations and gender, uh, and that's where I took most of that from. This next part is not from anywhere specifically. It is just kind of, it is me collecting a loose language and lexicon that I've learned from other people that they seem to communicate in. I'm going to talk about relationship styles a little bit. What I always like to think, um, the, the place that I started my research on this information was a book called The Ethical Slut. It is a bit like the horniest lady you know at church uh, wrote a relationship advice book, but I think it's very useful. It actually got me to rethink the nature of a lot of my non-sexual relationships. Um, I kind of base uh, uh, the importance of a relationship on how, how much it's going to matter uh, if you care if I move. Uh, if you are really important to me, uh, I'm going to assume it's going to be really important to you if I decide to move. But at the same time, I'm not really going to go tell the person in plaid except like, oh, hey, I'm going to move. It was, it was nice shopping in your store. Thanks. You know what I mean? Uh, if you don't understand what I mean, uh, th there are people you love like family. And there are people you love like friends, and there are people you love maybe romantically, and people you love maybe sexually. And these are different kinds of love. Sometimes you, you find a person that hits a Venn diagram and is all of these kind of relationships. A relationship doesn't exclusively have to mean two people who are going to do the naked bits together. But basically, um, the kind of relationships that we're going to talk about for this next section are relationships in which your gender and your sexuality are going to matter to the other parties involved. If you have a family member, their gender is probably fairly important to you so that you can address them properly. Their sexuality might not be as important to you, but it might explain their relationship style, which will be important to you. Because if you understand people's relationship styles, then you can understand how to better address them when you don't have a sexual relationship. How to support them as a friend or a family member. Um, I have, as I've mentioned before, transgendered cousins. If I know that, hey, th this cousin is transgender and poly, that tells me that they will require different support than my cousin who is cisgender and in a couple. They're going to require different support, or at the very least, they're going to have different struggles from each other, right? So let's let's kind of run down the list of dynamics. There's, there, there's basically, overall, three styles of relationship with iteration. There are solo dynamics. This is just a person like myself who doesn't have a, a partner, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a wife, a fiancé, a husband, or whatever. And like, like, if I decide to move, the person who gets to make that decision is me. You have couples. Couples is any, any pair. And, and again, that's one of those things where it's like, hey, a couple is two people who are going to talk about if they need to move. Because they're going to move together. Moving is going to be a, a pair decision. And then you have polyamorous relationships. Poly, again, meaning multiple partners within uh, the relationship. Uh, and again, that's going to be like, hey, if there's three of us and the three of us are dating uh, in some capacity, maybe I am dating one person and they are dating another, uh, uh, that's still going to be a conversation it, it, when we go to move. 
if you hear a couple uh, describe themselves as having an open relationship, this is usually referring to their sexuality. Uh, Non-monogamous couples, that's, that's what a couple means if they ever say they're open. That means it is not necessarily cheating if somebody has a sexual experience with another person. However, that does create, again, its own struggles and its own uh, difficulties. If somebody is in a couple and they are in an open relationship, there's a different definition for what cheating is. Cheating still exists within that dynamic, but it means a different thing. It, it might mean like, you were supposed to be there for me for our dinner and you were with someone else. Maybe the sex stuff doesn't matter as much to these partnerships. Um, poly relationships kind of break down into uh, usually a, 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 a partner and another person is, is involved. And any number of combinations of can exist as far as the imagination can stretch. Uh, and what monogamy and non-monogamy can also stretch within that definition. Uh, poly relationships, I think, traditionally break down into two styles, hierarchical and uh, non-hierarchical and or relationship anarchists. <laughs> if you hear someone say they're a relationship anarchist, run. I, I kid, but what they're saying is that they, they, they tend to uh, engage in their style of relationship uniquely with each person they meet. If you hear somebody say that they're in a hierarchical polyamorous relationship, that's usually something like maybe one couple is married and they are engaged in a romantic and sexual relationship and another pairing from that maybe, maybe um, uh, another man or woman have a strictly sexual relationship that is secondary and, and maybe that first husband and wife, maybe she has a relationship with another woman herself, which is strictly romantic. They actually have no sexual interaction, but they just love uh, uh, cuddling and making dinner together. That is a, a, a hierarchical model, a non-hierarchical model might mean like there is a husband and wife and they have their own boyfriends and girlfriends and, and they have their own boyfriends and girlfriends and they all rent a house in San Francisco. Look, I know it can be a little uh, confusing, especially when you include people who like swing and swap, which is totally not even something we're gonna go down today. The important reason, like I'm saying, at the end of all of these is that um, it's about how you can love and support your family members. Everybody is going to have their challenges in life. It doesn't matter if you are a 50-year-old heterosexual couple who is dealing with maybe mismatched sexual energies or a lack of romance or X, Y, or Z, or if you are a series of 20-something transgenders and a polyamorous anarchical puddle of goo. You're gonna have struggles and your family is gonna want to know how to support you. And if we understand at least the language that the people we love in our life that they're using, it is gonna enable us to better love and support them the same way they're going to be able to better love and support us. Um, and I think People are oftentimes like, oh, I'm having sexuality inflicted on me by knowing this. And I don't 
I don't think that's the case because nobody is forcing you to engage uh, because much like my crush policy, nobody is saying, hey, you have to do this. You have to be involved with this. They are simply saying, hey, I respect your relationship model. I would like you to do unto me the same thing and respect mine. So just to kind of close out the episode, I'm going to go over all of these terms again, kind of boom, 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 boom. My hope really is that maybe you can point, uh, you know, an aunt or an uncle who's sympathetic and not quite sure what's up towards this episode, if you want to, skip them right to this mark. Or if you have someone young in your life who is struggling with their gender or their sexuality or their relationship style, here, here's the thing I think all the time. If I had known as a young man what my orientation was, I'm, I, I, I think I'm pansexual. And if I'd known my relationship style, which was polyamorous, because I don't think it's possible to just love one person. I've never had to question my gender per se, but if I had had this information, I would have been able to better support my brother and cousins uh, when I was younger. And, and, and the children that I will meet in the future, I am better able to support because I have this language. Uh, so go, going, uh, kind of explaining things, Oh, I lost my notes. Where'd I go for? Uh, from the top, like, like, so we're going to run down these one more time. Traditionally, gender has been divided into two roles, male and female. As I've mentioned before, historically, actually, what the definition of these things are has changed. I think in the United States of America, uh, in the year 2023, it is safe to say that the things that are identified as male, aka masculine, are usually strong uh, facial hair features, musculature that is much more uh, beefy, and uh, being in possession of a penis, or enjoying the use of, of, of a penis for sexual activity. Feminine features are usually much more described in our era with things such as long hair, breasts and enjoying the use of a um, vaginal position during sex. Oh, I'm making this weird. And people who are agendered prefer to identify with neither of those genders. Uh, whereas people who are non-binary prefer to identify with either or, a kind of mix or match. And people who are androgynous traditionally will be gender fluid in their presentation, which is to say that they might not be one or the other. It will just depend on how the mood strikes them. I think my favorite example of that is there is a book called After the Revolution in which a cyborg uh, that we have known as a woman, most of the story, uh, prepares for war by putting on a penis because that just seems appropriate for war. Um, this does, of course, uh, get, bring us to transgendered identities. If uh, gender is, is your performance, is the thing you kind of present yourself to the world as, people who are transgendered were uh, assigned female at birth or assigned male at birth are transitioning or have transitioned away from the gender they were assigned at birth and have embraced uh, a new one. If you ever hear somebody use the term two-spirited, that is referring to somebody uh, in, in Native American culture uh, or indigenous first people's cultures 
who identifies with both genders. Uh, uh, it is usually more polite to refer to those people as androgynous unless you know that they are specifically with a certain tribe or identify in a tribe as such. Intersex people are people who were born with both bits because remember gender is the thing you're, you're putting out. Uh, that has nothing to do with your genitals specifically. If you want to um, question God's plan when it comes to the genitals people were born with, I will remind you that according to God's plan, I was born with a tumor and has been all downhill since. So I think God can in that regard, or biology can in that regard, maybe get it wrong. Uh, but those are those are kind of that's kind of the the brief list of genders. Orientation is something a little bit different. That is again what you do with that gender. Uh, and that can range on a spectrum of asexual, which means you have zero to no sexual interest in people, in your partners, even though you may have other interests or, or feelings for them. And the other end of that asexual spectrum is allosexual, people who experience and enjoy having a sexuality. In the middle are people who are described as uh, gray sexual or demisexual. Gray sexual is really uh, specifically to do with people who who are describing themselves on that spectrum of, of not into sex, into sex. Whereas demisexual is usually for people who have uh, sexuality that is reserved more for romantic inclinations specifically. For example, you can be allosexual, you can be sexual with the people that you choose to partner with, but you are demisexual in how you pursue that, which is to say it's hard for you to enjoy sexuality without an emotional connection. Uh, and, and that brings us, sexuality also brings us to a different spectrum, uh, which is romanticism. There are people who are aromantic, people who uh, are not comfortable for whatever reason with having romantic relationships and they deserve representation I think on that spectrum just as much. If you can be asexual you can have relationships that, that, that don't include sex. I think it's possible to say hey I don't have the I want to spend the rest of my life feelings with people. I, I think you're allowed to have that. I think when it comes to sexuality though um, it is traditionally broken down into heterosexuality, which is to say uh, a man and a woman, uh, and homosexuality, which is to say uh, a man and a man, or a woman and a woman, but that erases our friends who are intersex, who are non-binary, who are maybe transitioning from one gender to another and haven't quite found where they hit on that spectrum. And I think uh, one thing I forgot to mention is it's important to think of gender in terms of that spectrum. Uh, m much like how romance and sexuality aren't uh, exclusively tied to each other, there are people who present male uh, and female. I think I definitely have strong mom vibes, even though I'm not always a great dad. But I do think it translates to me being a good dad. All of that is a roundabout way of just saying that, again, these things can be a little bit confusing, but bisexuality is people who traditionally uh, associate themselves as having a, a traditional heteronormative gender, i.e. a man or a woman, and they are interested in people who are kind of traditionally associated with being a man or a woman. Uh, you also have 
people who identify as flexible as to say maybe they 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 are usually one thing but maybe if the moment strikes them right they are another thing it's the classic man crush you know uh there's a number of celebrities that i look at and i think who buddy uh uh, and there are people who are pansexual, which is just to say that they are attracted to people regardless of what their gender or presentation is. Polysexuality is people who are attracted to multiple people at the same time. Maybe uh, their enjoyment is from being with multiple people, not just they derive uh, enjoyment from the fact that they would be with multiple partners at once. Now, Having mentioned poly, transition us is, uh, transitions us smoothly into relationship uh, styles. When I say style, I mean partnership. And when I say partnership, that's what I mean by, like, this person is going to care if you were going to move. If I decided tomorrow I am going to move to San Diego, if I had a partner, uh, that would matter to them. And, and the dynamic of that relationship is is a variety of styles there, there, there's a number of ways to do that um the people who exist solo tend to make decisions primarily for themselves decisions again using that previous example if i wanted to move to san diego yes my friends and family would would care and would have an opinion but i i don't have a partner in intentionally for whom uh, uh, that will matter. I have a number of people that I care about that I may be romantically or sexually involved with, but the decision is, is mine on a, on a solo basis. A couple is, is any pair. Uh, couples uh, can be open or closed, aka monogamous or non-monogamous. They can have sexuality that is exclusively with each other and or without each other. Ethical non-monogamy is a term that describes specifically the practice of being non-monogamous in a way that is fair and faithful and respects everybody's needs involved. You can also have poly relationships. Polyamorous relationships are relationships in are a poly relationship dynamic is a relationship in any relationship in which there are multiple partners, i.e multiple people are going to need to be discussed with and talked about if you're going to move. Poly relationships are traditionally broken down by hierarchical and non-hierarchical or anarchic relationship styles. Hierarchical relationships tend to have a sort of tier ranking for how much input you get to have on if you're going to move. For example, a husband and wife in a polyamorous relationship might be each other's primary partners, but have secondary partners that exist on a romantic, sexual, or other level of interaction. A non-hierarchical relationship might be three people who all care about each other, or two people who really care about each other, and two other people who really care about each other, with another person as a fulcrum of some kind. Uh, all of these relationships exist. It's important, I think, to know all of these terms, both because these are the people who are being attacked, and as I just want to keep reiterating, you, these are your family. These are your friends. Th th these are people, even if you haven't met them. I, I always think it's important to remember that a people isn't its polity, which is to say the, the people of Tennessee 
aren't necessarily the people running Tennessee. And that means that the people whose lives that are impacted by this still have friends and family. My, my point is that uh, these people are our friends and family. And, and knowing these terms, understanding these words, makes it easier for us to be friends and family to each other. I personally don't understand monogamy. The more I really think about it, the more to me it strikes as a form of oppression to say, I'm not going to let you be with anyone else. It rings of a freedom to me to say, hey, this option is there, and if we can discuss it when it comes up, I would appreciate that. And, and so, so one, seem, one form seems oppressive to me. I've never really had to question my, my gender. Uh, I've always been a dude, <laughs> to the best of my knowledge. I definitely have traits that are more feminine than not, uh, but it's never been a question of, of looking at my body and wishing it was something else in a way that didn't relate to disability. But at the same time, like I said, if I'd had this language, I would have been able to be a better supporter of these people in my life. Well, I hope this episode provided you with a better lexicon and a better understanding of the people in your world. This is by no means an exhaustive list of terms. This is just, I think, enough to understand the basics of the conversations people in your life might be having about who they are and how they love. Um, and I think, honestly, that is the most important thing to remember. These are just... This is about identity and freedom and love. And if you're against somebody embracing their identity, if you're against somebody having the freedom, uh, having freedom, and you're against people being loved, then I, 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 I beg of you to question what you're doing with your life and your own beliefs. It's, it's why it frustrates me so much when people try to criminalize things such as, as drag shows. Because, like I said, if I'd had this information as a kid, I could have been a better sibling. If I'd had this information as a young man, I would have understood myself a lot better in a bunch of other ways. And if I'd had this information even 10 years ago, when I was a young adult, it would have changed the way I approached a lot of relationships. I had to go through a lot of suffering and heartbreak to get here. And I, and I feel bad for the people who didn't even know that this language could exist. If it makes you uncomfortable, embrace it. If it makes you uncomfortable, embrace that discomfort. Because for the longest time, LGBTQ people and people with a variety of different relationships, uh, styles, and genders, and sexuality have had to live lives of extreme discomfort, not knowing if the people around them would be fine with violence done against them by the people in their lives or the state around them. Because that's kind of been one of the whole, I mean, that's kind of the whole goal with recyclables, is to be better at each, being each other's friends and family by having more information. Sometimes we present it with goofy, wacky stories from history. Sometimes it's just PTP standing around the recyclable studio reading from a list of words he took from FetLife and uh, the ethical slut. <laughs>
But now that I've talked way too much, it's time for your favorite part of the show and my favorite part of the show, where I read off to our executive producers. Do you want to be an executive producer of the Recyclables Podcast Network? It's very simple. All you have to do is go to patreon.com forward slash recyclables and you can become an executive producer. That's simple. Membership begins for as as little as a dollar a month, but you can pay what you want. And if you can't pay anything, that's fine. That's the beauty of this model. This podcast is this podcast operates off of the old uh, anarcho-communist phrase uh, from each according to their ability to each according to their need, uh, and that's how our Patreon works. If you can get as much out of this as you are able to, and I appreciate anything you can give back according to your own ability. If you want to, you know, support the podcast for like five dollars a month. That is awesome. If you want to just tell people about the show, that would be equally awesome. I think money, I'm not going to go into that. Uh, but in return for helping produce the show, while we are still under uh, within a reasonable number of people that I can read, I'm going to shout out the executive producers at the end of every episode. What do you get for being a patron? A patron exclusive now and again. Uh, sometimes it's me reading from some literature. Sometimes it's all the stuff that gets put on the editing room floor. Every once in a while, it's one of these more one-on-one conversations about something completely off the wall. Only way to find out is to become a patron. Uh, but everyone else, I don't, I don't really hide anything. Um, anyway, let me let me read off our our patrons. I'm gonna do it straight this time. I'm gonna do it. No weird uh, sideways catawampuses, no weird tangents. I'm just going to thank each of the people for being an executive producer this time. So, thank you, Sabrina Phillips, for being an executive producer. Thank you, Edwin Shives, for being an executive producer. Thank you, Sabrina Oxford, for being an executive producer. All right, I'm done with this bit already. Thank you, Whitney Hampson, for being an executive producer. Thank you, as always, Nova Starlost, for being an executive producer of Recyclables. Robert Campbell, thank you for being an executive producer of Recyclables. Andrea Miller, thank you for being an executive producer of Recyclables. Kristen Rowan, thank you for being an executive producer of Recyclables. Recyclables. Linda Grimes, thank you for being an executive producer of Recyclables. Butterface Creations, thank you. Thank you for being an executive producer of Recyclables. Carrie Davis, thank you for being an executive producer of Recyclables. Erica N., thank you for being an executive producer of Recyclables. Ash Alexander, thank you. For being an executive producer of Recyclables. Chella L., thank you for being an executive producer of Recyclables. And thank you for listening. At this point, the theme music has started. It is going to go over the sound of my own voice. I am never, ever going to get tired of this bit at all.
my case for once. Uh, yeah. I, I forgot to charge it last night, and one of my earbuds is dead, and I only got one on the way home. And I'm like, no. Right. Thank you. Oh, Jesus. Well, it's okay. Right. Right, I love you. Bye-bye. I don't remember where I was before Kiddo called me, so I'm just going to bounce in with the agnostic thing. Thank you for picking up Recyclables today. Donations to the ACAST streaming service are, of course, always welcomed, but the best way to support the show is by going to patreon.com forward slash recyclables and becoming a patron today. If you can't do that, another great way is by liking, subscribing, sharing, rating, and reviewing the podcast on whatever podcast listening service you use. All right, thanks.